Hello, Culture Gone Bad is back, and guess what? We are together again. Yeah, in real life. It's so good to see you, Jeffy. Good to see you too. How have you been? Like pretending that we didn't see each other. Well, <laughs> uh, it's nice to record together. How about that? It's nice to record together. Yeah, I'm sure they will appreciate as well. Yeah, it's delightful. Right. So uh, we've got a lot of fascinating topics today. Uh, I'm going to start with introducing my. I'm going to talk about new TV series, Euphoria on HBO and I want to talk a little bit about uh, what sort of uh, aesthetic and meaning and symbolistic value we bring and why we are so popular and successful and then I want to share my recent Prada store shopping experience and see what uh, you Drupi think about it. What do you want to talk about today? I want to talk about the uh, detachment in in the, uh, I want to talk about the art first of all and the detachment of uh, the uh, concept of price and the concept of value uh, in the contemporary art markets and then I want to answer a question that remained unanswered the last time because I've been asked by somebody on on Instagram what I think about the overwhelming presence of the color black amongst um, amongst uh, f fashionistas and fashion people um, and I think it was a very interesting question that we can explain thoroughly mm, wow fascinating very interesting so um, let's talk about euphoria have you watched any season I, so I haven't watched any season, but uh, since you told me to watch it, I I have been chased by Euphoria. Everybody's been telling me, watch Euphoria. Oh my gosh, you're not watching it. Oh my gosh, in which planet do you live, etc. And I've been bombarded by by the algorithm must have heard you because oh. I've been bombarded by, by ads, Euphoria ads. So I think I'll have to watch it. Yeah. Can you tell me more about this? Convince me to watch it, please. I don't know if I want to convince you, Drupi, but uh, I'm going to actually say a little bit since you mentioned this ads, targeted ads. Um, to some extent, I suppose some people get really freaked out by this surveillance economy where we track everything we say, but I find it cute in a way. Like, I sometimes say things, uh, casually mention them, and I don't even acknowledge what, and then I say, oh, you're advertising me... Um, I don't know, diet pills about which I joked the other day. Do you think I'm really going to buy them? No, but I think it's funny what algorithm picks up on some things and completely disregards another. And actually sometimes the things which it trying to advertise to me are completely meaningless and we won't result in any economic exchange. So here we go, algorithms. You still got a lot to learn. That's actually a very good point about the algorithm because I see how it targets me and sometimes it's very, very annoying. It, I really have the feeling that he hears what I speak about because otherwise it's impossible. Uh, it, it's so everything I mention, it gives me, but not everything it gives me, I want. So as you say, there is a lot of things to do. But back to euphoria, I want you to, let's have a little marketing uh, chat about Euphoria. What is the series' unique selling proposition? Oh wow, we're doing a market analysis. Yeah, Ooh. please. Um, so I would say the unique selling proposition is it offers us, the viewers, to experience extreme transgressive 
experiences or modes of existence in the safety of our bedrooms without really having to participate. So it's very much about drug abuse, uh, complicated dysfunctional relationships, tough upbringings, and also uh, the reality what not all human connections enable us to have profound development and can be very challenging and also sometimes things we deserve the most are unattainable and it's all presented in a very dramatic extreme ways like when we speak about abusive relationship we're talking about extreme cases of rape when we talk about drug abuse we're talking about people being taken to hospital and being saved like literally uh on the last minute, just before they were gone. This is the extreme transgression presented. So it, it doesn't seem to me uh, that the topic is about freedom. It seems to me that the topic is about how uh, freedom can be uh, misleading and how and the limits of freedom, actually. What's the point between between your freedom and you being enslaved by what you believe it's your freedom? That's, that's what I get from what you're saying. Well, uh, do you think... Uh, Tell me, where did you get the idea of what F3F is about freedom? Uh, no, I haven't. But uh, I haven't because I didn't watch it. I watched the trailer after you told me. Um, but uh, there is a, a sort of tendency uh, nowadays to um, to have this sort of uh, dramatization of relationship, especially teenagers and especially young young boys and girls. Um, and or non-gender conformative people. Exactly, yes, exactly. And I, I noticed this in sex education, for instance. I couldn't connect to the series because in, in that case the the reason why i couldn't connect to the series was because uh, there was a sort of uh, scientific uh, a sort of d didactic approach to sexuality and relationships it needed to teach you something or you know moral lessons or whatever and and i think that sex is the one thing that the more you want to uh, make a discourse about sex the more unsexy it becomes True. it should be something that should remain unspoken there's nothing less sexy to say than to say to a young person it's good to have sex but put a condom on so obviously it's an well, intelligent I mean, thing on. to say uh, i would like to say culture gone back supports the use of condoms yeah exactly. uh, by, by all means please yeah. do use condoms yeah 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 do use uh, condoms so you will spare us of uh, of certain of certain uh, uh, people that we exactly that we see around uh yes yeah, so we, we've got to keep our production function in control after no, all no but, but <laughs> i didn't want to defend uh, the uh, not using condom of course i'm not i'm not talking about the fact that it's a good thing to suggest young people uh, to use condoms of course it is a good thing but it's a it's a contradiction on the one hand it's a good thing on the other hand the moment in which you say it you're removing the sexuality and the sexiness from yeah. it because you're removing the the sexiness of the forbidden action of of the forbidden um sexual um intercourse yeah, does no, it make sense totally i watched sex education and i i found it quite funny but it just really highlights what in our society obsessed with sex and very eroticized uh, messaging uh, criteria it's still kind of uh, a bit of a taboo to openly talk about things and everyone is trying to find a way to talk about them and it gets ridiculous it's like when we spoke about pornography being everywhere but simultaneously you can't put a provocative selfie on instagram mm. this is like i think the obsessiveness but i think euphoria is very different and the difference is on top of this transgressiveness and safety of our experience 
it is incredibly aesthetically pleasing. It's got all these neon colors. It's, uh, I think it's shot on film. And all characters, they have a lot of uh, charm and individuality. I think uh, it is aesthetic experience on top of uh, emotional. What about the plot? The plot, it's like some uh, teenagers in high school having complicated relationship with their family, with drugs, alcohol, and between each other. And they just kind of go from one party to another, uh, trying one relationship after another, and they all take these notions to extreme, both with drugs, uh, sex, and their parents. I, I don't know. It, 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 I get what the unique selling proposition is. I totally get it. You did a great job. Well but... done, me. <laughs> hold on, hold on. Oh. But you also convinced me not to watch it. Well, that because, was never my because, point. <laughs> I was never employed. But you on. asked me to watch it. That's what I'm saying. Because that's this uh, this idea of this loot. I, I like, uh, as you know, I like to be in control of myself. I like people to be in control of their life. And everything that portrays another reality um, uh, for, in a movie or a TV series doesn't really get my attention. That's why I was waiting so badly for Sex and the City. Because the, those are are um, uh, successful women under under many aspects and and then I was let down because even they now are unsuccessful so there is no way of looking around and finding empowered successful people they try to sell you victimhood as empowerment today is, so this is exactly the point Drupi. I don't think uh, we were in 80s anymore the role models were more, very much about empowerment. I think this is what really fascinates me about Euphoria, and I'm not suggesting you should watch it. I think, Drupi, you have beautiful hobbies which you can dedicate uh, time to, which are more valuable. However, my take on this, I'm incredibly fascinated. This series is super successful because they offer these extreme experiences. It's like, uh, you know, you you watch horror movie they tickle your feelings they take you to um, very exuberant notions but you don't really see zombie inside of your bedroom like they, they are there on the screen and i think this is what euphoria sells in a very aesthetic way uh, you you can be raped you can have drugs over those your parents will kick you out of the house when in reality mom is making chicken ready in the kitchen and you're sitting in your fluffy bathtub uh, bathrobe in a bathtub doing your nails something like that i think this is where we kind of live or another aspect you know you can be watching this three series while your delivery of uh, from uber it being on this way, kind of this sort of uh, notion. Okay, I'll give it a go, but I want to close this with one, uh, one, just one idea. This idea of an aesthetic experience that titillates your senses as opposed to your mind has one name in the noble discipline of aesthetics, and it's called kitsch. We can move to the next topic. Oh, wow, wow. Okay. I'm shady today. I don't know. I woke up like this. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, guys. No, no. Uh, no, I'm just going to say uh, the reason why you might watch Euphoria on top of plot, still, just I, I want to highlight it's got like a cool uh, styling yeah. and cool aesthetics. And I think it really resonates with Gen Z, with what we do on TikTok, what we do on Instagram. I even saw some fashion shows and shoots being inspired by that. It's like this almost video game styling, and I think it is very attractive. So 
you know, it's stimulating for eyes, but it's also stimulating for senses. And that's why I think it's successful. I, I think I'll have to watch it just for this. Yeah, yeah no, no. I mean, the styling is pretty good. Some fashion ideas are there for sure. However, yeah, um, Jupit, tell me, what is the value of art? Yes, so this idea came to me f because, well, I've been, even with you recently, going to, um, to art exhibitions and, um, and, seeing, uh, and seeing that underneath every, or even talking to friends of mine who are much more wealthy than I am, who buy art. And I realized that the way in which they approach uh, the, uh, the art market is very different from the concept of art that I formulated in my mind, uh, because um, there is a, they tend to conflate, not they, the, the in gen generally speaking, the world today and uh, galleries tend to conflate uh, the concept of value with the concept of, uh, of price. So the value of an artwork coincides with its price, but prices are very unpredictable and prices look at the next 10 years, but art traditionally has always looked at the next 1,000 years, even 2,000 years, even 10,000 years, right? So the degree of obsolescence of art is much, much uh, higher than anything else. I think my uh, female brain is being stretched a little bit too thin right now. Tell me. Uh, so, uh, value of art and the price of art in kind of a bit more simplified terms. So, let's say if I go to gallery today and pay a specific price, do you mean it's going to be estimated but not what it costs today but what, what it will be valued at in 10 years time so if you look at the uh, at the artists that came out from the all the documenta uh, the the very prominent english artists of the 90s um, i was looking like, with the, i don't know tracy emin yeah like tracy emin uh, like damien hurst these are the names who remained up there even though there was a vicious article about damien hurst on the new york times recently precisely on this topic um, uh, but then there are so many of them who at the time seemed so promising, you couldn't tell them apart from Damien Hurst and Tracy Emin, and they completely disappeared. Right. So their price was high, their value was low. Nobody was able to tell the difference between price and value. And I was talking to my friend who was buying some contemporary art, very expensive, and he said to me, I think I've got an eye for art because uh, where, uh, everything I see, uh, I noticed, I've noticed for a couple of years that everything I see and I like uh, increases in value over the next two or three years. And I said, but do you realize that you are approaching art as you would approach, I don't know, a Birkin bag, uh, or, uh, w which is amazing in itself, obviously, but it's a different market. Uh, and he said, what do you mean? I said, the, 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 the value of art is in the fact that he can still be meaningful in a thousand years, not that his value grows in to uh, or to 10 years uh, those are two different approaches which leads me to the real point now uh, obviously we know that in the in the renaissance there were great men great mm -hmm. popes and great uh, florentine merchants and noblemen investing in artists right yeah the, all the great artists but we were investing in them because we obviously were hoping to get something out of it not yes. not, not for the whole wholesomeness of uh absolutely it's because we have very material no, no, this is obviously, yeah. obviously, but it was very different because they were investing in them because they wanted to create something great that could be remembered after thousands of years. 
Yeah. Today is I'm buying this not because I want my household to last, to overcome time, but in my name to overcome my own life, but is I am buying this because in 10 years I can sell it and, and gain money out of it. Yeah, but so it's a gamble. Yeah. You have to invest in so much, and and you are not. And if you and if you have a bad um, a, a bad counselor <laughs> that gives you bad suggestions, you end up buying crap, and nothing yeah. lasts. No, but I think art market is actually fucked. Uh, every time, because it's my hobby, you know, I go see lots of art exhibitions. Yeah. I go to art fairs, and. It is well known what a lot of art, contemporary art, but even uh, more traditional uh, masters, is being bought and it's never displayed anywhere. It's being stored, I don't know, in Switzerland or yeah, London. Exactly. Yeah. So where, you know, tax-free, uh, um, you know, kind of uh, country-free zones where yeah. we keep them at the airports. However, uh, this is the thing. Art is not aesthetic object and it's more about the value and almost money laundering but business th that's the thing is about the value but i feel that it it is being bought either to be hidden as you're saying correctly or as an aesthetic object but how many people really buy it as an aesthetic object i think oh many oh, really so, yes yes but i think i know a lot of collectors who want a specific uh, square uh, painting because it fits in their wall we want picasso from specific yeah. from his blue or, period horizontal or long and horizontal paintings because it's nice to have above the couch you know i know a lot of people who have this approach which is not a bad approach i'm just saying that it's it's not what makes art um, last for thousands of years. Yeah, but this it's is a very kitsch yeah. approach to go back to the concept that so, I used before. So, what do you say? What makes art last is its investment potential. No, what makes art last is the it goes down to the meaning. It doesn't go down to the price because certain artists who were who were completely un who went who died without being known without being able to sell their own things have been discovered afterwards, uh, and what made them eternal and even pricey eventually, but what made them eternal was the ability that they had to convey meanings that could that could go beyond the art object itself and could be interpreted over and over again over the years over the decades over the centuries Same contemporary example uh, how do you think today artists can create this like meaning which goes beyond i think uh today's artists are too preoccupied uh, and i'm one of the greatest of of them all is maurizio catalan do you remember Ooh, the banana course. yeah and the, my favorite maurizio catalan is a suicidal squirrel have you ever seen which it? which one is the suicidal so squirrel it's a squirrel who just shot itself in oh the yes 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 yeah. table. this is yeah. my absolute favorite but, but you see maurizio catalan is a genius because he brings this to an extreme and i think he will be remembered of this generation because it brings this concept to an extreme but you see it's conceptual but all the other minor artists who try to be catalans and don't reach his level of extreme they are doomed to oblivion okay because they are thinking of how to gather the media attention not how to create some concept that is mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that is a revolutionary uh, and i think this is uh, a bit damaging uh, to the uh, art world and also damaging to the people who invest in those things but art also became business and as a business it's only probably focusing on profit yeah i think the fact that art uh, is a business uh, obviously art 
is more a business than it is anything else and it has always been like this so i'm not i'm mm -hmm. not mm -hmm. in any possible way say that art should not be a business of course it's a business what worries me is how the rules of the art business are being changed now and it's becoming a self-referred business whereas before was still a business of you know the florentine merchants invested in it but it was a business and its point was another was not to sell more i had another uh, another it, it was still a business but followed different rules so what worries me are the rules of the business not the fact that it is a business itself so do you think it became a world of some sort of almost con artists who can create some uh, lasting impact with meaning which is completely constructed but it resonates in the long term yeah so i was thinking about jordan wolfson you know mm. uh, he does these installations which are super expensive like his installations always mechanical women dancing or some robots saying very ambiguous things and where ai powered uh, machinery for which i read some of them cost like half million pounds and it's just like a small robotic uh, motion which is being performed and he is incredibly successful but also he's got a reputation for himself because he sometimes says rather outrageous things and he's very successful but if you think about uh, his art at its face value it's quite questionable and almost provocative so in a way yeah i guess today especially specific market of contemporary art it is all depending on what sort of message you can communicate it sells but it's the same with fashion man i think most of things today sell not because we have particular functionality or very profound aesthetic but because we sell idea which either comforts us or provokes us but, uh, the difference and this is to me the main difference between art and fashion uh, is that they are two businesses that resp respond uh, ontologically respond to different rules fashion does not aim to last for the next thousand years fashion aims to last for the next next six months so this allows fashion to abide by different rules and do it amazingly you know the moment in which fashion does not create things that last for long is the moment in which fashion is working as its best because it's opening to the possibility of being discarded in six months and replaced but art is a different story it should have a lower degree of obsolescence so what is a strength for fashion in my view is a uh, a weakness in art and vice versa that's quite interesting at the same time we do have collectors of fashion who buy unique pieces no you don't believe in that uh, no uh, i do believe in that but the price point is income is not it cannot be compared to fashion the only uh, the only fashion item which is an investment uh, comparable to the best art objects is hermes kelly's bags Okay, the bags by Hermes are the only secure investment for the future. Everything else, of course, you, you can collect fashion, but there are people who collect stamps and mm -hmm. pay a lot for them. So it's, it's the same sort of scale, but uh, not everything that is collectible is collectible in the same way. Tell me, Jupi, would you buy a Hermes handbag? Or maybe you have of one. Course. I don't have one, but are I you? would absolutely buy. Actually, I would wear a black Birkin if I could afford it, that well, is. Well, maybe, maybe, Drupi, what's your next investment plan? Yeah, I'd love it. Yeah. I'm so jealous of our students. Some of them have 
Hermes bags and I always look at them with envy and, and admiration in a way. Well, uh, Drupi, guess what? I'm sure a lot of people look at you with admiration and envy for your knowledge and ability to see things for what they are. I think uh, this is priceless compared to Birkenbach, which has a very, very particular uh, digits next to it. Yeah, being able to see reality is a curse. It's not a gift, remember. We are cursed. We are cursed. Yes. Well, we are going to hell then. <laughs> well, I hope we're going to have beautiful clothes in hell, uh, all dressed in black. <laughs> Of course, red and black, like Lil Nas type of hell. Oh, that's, well, that's the place uh, where I want okay, to go. Okay, and I'm going to have my Nikes with blood. Was it his blood or someone's mm-hmm. blood in his Nikes? Uh, well, uh, speaking of wearing black, Drupi, why, why fashion crowd wears black? Do we all know we're destined for hell and we're just doing a little rehearsal? So a friend of, my, a friend of mine, a person I know um, who is very clever, but is not uh, a, uh, a fashion expert, he's, a, he's very is very knowledgeable in uh, in uh, literature and, and art and in, in music as well much more than I am on music but um, she doesn't particularly know fashion that well and she gave me the typical question that the layman could give you uh, could give you um, opening a world of meaning to you you know precisely because it's not inside fashion he saw she saw something that was uh, so poignant and she asked me why are fashionistas or fashion people who are dressed in black and i thought wow that's so true i didn't think about it you know Drip, it's amazing uh, just in this point sometimes it takes a complete outside exactly to point yeah. out something which is so obvious but we all become oblivious to. that's exactly what i was trying to say uh, today, uh, speaking, uh, saying my ideas in few words is not is not my gift. Sorry, <laughs> yes, exactly. That's ex- exactly the point. From her outside point of view, she was saying something extremely, extremely right. Okay, so here is the thing: the color black is a very interesting color, uh, and it had uh, many moments of resignification in history. In in Victorian times, uh, women hated black because they had to wear black all the time because it was a color of death and mourning and everybody kept dying constantly obviously children husbands uh, etc uh, so they were forced they hated black this starts to change in the second world war because death becomes even more common and therefore women cannot abide by the rules of mourning anymore uh, i did an exam on historian uh, on, on on victorian mourning so that's where i started uh, understanding the meaning of the color black in fashion and then in 1914, when the First World War breaks, they cannot follow, women cannot follow the rules anymore because too many people are dying and it's unthinkable that everybody wears black all the time and only black. Everybody had a dead person in the house. Um, so black falls out of favor, okay, because they don't care about wearing it for mourning anymore. But hold on, just kind of jumping a little bit back. As far as I know, uh, in when the flourishing in the 17th century of Flemish art, yeah. they were black because it was expensive yeah, dyes. exactly. So... For two reasons. They were black, but this was a different thing. This is the Protestant bourgeois idea. Yeah, okay, The aristocrats yeah. didn't. Only the bourgeois were black, and that's the Protestant idea that you have to wear expensive things but they don't need to look expensive so black allowed them to uh, to be somber in a way and to be plain and to not to be conspicuous because being conspicuous was a sin in itself Mm. yeah 
and this is where the Victorians take the idea. So it's it's the the idea. But elegance was born with those men that you are saying. So the very concept of elegance comes from this Protestant understanding of simplicity. Yes, and this idea of simplicity comes back in the twenties because in 1926, I think, yeah pretty sure. Chanel creates a little black dress. And the little black dress is this amazing thing that, that re-signifies black because it subtracts black from mourning and gives black the, the, the meaning of elegance but I think what and sexiness. But she also done, she kind of suggested what women who have style should dress almost like their maids, so they're indistinguishable. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And, but th that was the idea of Chanel, was to destroy fashion uh, to create style. Okay, so um, bringing menswear. Mm -hmm. So start a fashion with Chanel starts a relentless march towards menswear. Okay, which is by um, using somber colors and simple mm -hmm. shapes, mm -hmm. etc. And then it's resignified once again with Balenciaga, you know, the Spanish uh, couturier who coming from Spain and seeing this morning Spanish women, very similar to the Italian women, um, wearing black, very elegant in church. Uh, on Sunday, um, and and he gives black the new meaning. But then, in the eighties, probably is the moment in which fashionistas embrace black so conspicuously, and it is because the Japanese designers resignify once again the color black and give the color black uh, the and use the color black as a signature Kawakubo, Yamamoto all the Japanese Isei miyake. masters Isei yeah. miyake. and that is because if you paint, if you dye everything in black you can focus on construction you don't need to focus on embellishment on prints, you can really give construction and if you, if, if you then with the pr uh, the, through the prism of the Japanese, look back at Balenciaga and look back at Chanel. That's exactly what they were doing. The, all of them were much more preoccupied with construction than with embellishment. Therefore, black allowed them to make the shape shine. And I think that today we, even you, <laughs> wear black so much because we have this sort of intellectual approach to fashion. It's very interesting. I'm. Uh, uh, I have went to see an exhibition at Whitecube Gallery. I would you don't say. <laughs> Is there any, any exhibition that you don't go to? Uh, <laughs> to be honest, uh, you know, I told you, this is my hobby. I, I do see exhibitions. You felt the pleasure. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, I guess uh, some people watch Netflix, some people go see art. Uh, I think everyone has their own thing. Um, but um, so this, uh, this Chinese artist, I don't remember the name, but that's not the point. So the whole exhibition based on a concept of how in Western world we are obsessed with bright light, mm -hmm. being very straightforward and everything super defined. Whereas in East, in Asia, they kind of have less direct approach to describing things and light can be very subtle. And the whole exhibition is split in black and white and sort of interaction of movement, technology, light, stillness, um, and almost like organic matters. And I thought it was very beautiful comment to reflect on how sometimes very obvious flash of things are not as intimate and meaningful as something simple and maybe not so brightly lit. So in a way, I think this relates why we 
in fashion appreciate black because maybe it has this hidden uh, discrete meaning which is more intimate rather than to have i don't know bright pink embellished exactly. skipparella yeah. style dress yeah. uh sometimes for things to be really profound and unique they need to have certain area of discreteness minimalism and not so obviously uh, out loud yeah and i but uh, the point that i wanted to stress is that i know many people who can wear colorful things and crazy things i don't know i'm thinking about anna piaggi the great uh, italian mm-hmm. uh, fashion journalist and she was a genius and she probably never wore black in her entire life only bright colors but she could do it i could i wouldn't be able to do it so uh, for me it's much easier to uh, embrace the the uniform of the intellectual which is uh, wearing wearing black total look black but i think it's also from our part a bit of a uniform indeed is a way of saying we are sophisticated we are so sophisticated that we can speak about fashion without being uh, somehow um, infected by it oh wow we are sophisticated Uh, we are very very sophisticated interesting Uh, Speaking of my uniform, so I had a very interesting experience I wanted to share with you. I went shopping and I decided, well, what is better uh, to do for a person destined for hell than to go to Prada store? And um, whereabouts? Sloan Street. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I decided, you know what, I'm going to go straight to the center hell destination in London. And I... um, I was wearing my black uniform, everything black, and I had the hoodie on. Uh, it was fashionable, oversized hoodie. And I went into the store, and the moment I entered it, I was greeted quite coldly, and the staff asked me if I can take my hoodie off, like from my hat, because I hood hood up. So that was very interesting beginning of my experience uh, that is that maybe because i've been asked the same thing at uh uniqlo <laughs> yeah the, <laughs> the, <laughs> this <laughs> says it all you go to prada i go to uniqlo but i dream of prada because guys remember the most important thing is not what you can buy we are poor bitches okay as as it's, it's what black, you dream as long as it's black as it doesn't matter what you buy it matters what you dream okay if you if you can buy prada and you dream of michael Kors, that's a problem okay so dream well even if you don't have the money just like us uh, like me no she can buy everything because she, she's rich okay sorry oh, well, well, I mean, she's no. russian so uh, sorry you were rich saying rich russian <laughs> sophisticated rich russian JP, i think you're putting so many labels we're gonna run of course. Out, we're gonna run out of spots to play <laughs> for monsoon um I thought uh, it was, I always understand, there is a certain stigma about wearing hoodie in public places, almost like balaclava, like you, you're mm. not supposed to do it. But simultaneously, you would think we would cut off some of this bullshit because, come on, we don't have many tourists, the store was empty, I was the only customer where, even if I was going to steal something, where I was enough of stuff to, you know, mm. uh, hold me down to the floor and call the police. It ma- I, I don't know the rules, but it could be that they have some some uh, rules from, from maybe from the government or something, because I have the same experience at much cheaper stores, and I always assume that it's because I mean, if you if you still it's not just 
if you steal something where if you're a terrorist they can they can rec- through the cameras they can they can you know identify you yeah but no one is going to ask you to take a face mask off but and they can't yeah so here we go you see it's a little bit contradictory but um you know i i think my, my guess would be obviously haven't checked our legislations I think it's more like a social norms and etiquette. You just like, you know, I think there's a certain stigma about the social type of class who would wear their hoodie up. And therefore, I think we're trying to purify mm. the aesthetic experience of being inside of Prada. What we have people who are, uh, you know, kind of complicit to specific ideas. And I would say uh, throughout the experience, when I ended up shopping there, they all warmed up to me. And when I was living, everyone was super happy. So I think, you you know, oh, I mean, yeah. But I mean, just like... uh, What did you buy, by the way? Whatever, I'll show you one day. I'll keep it as a surprise. One day? One day, you'll see, yeah. (laughs) Cardi B. (laughs) Um... Yeah, and I just think it's quite interesting. To me, it looks like, at this point in economy, and so many brands, like, actually, you know, business is not as strong as it used to be. I would imagine we would be just pleased in whatever way or whatever style you come in, considering we are not consumers. No, I stress this point. I, I Now, initially, when you were speaking about it, I didn't understand what they were. I, I thought they didn't want you to enter the store because you're wearing... A hoodie, not because the hoodie was up on your head. Mm. Now that you explained it, I don't think it's, unfortunately, I don't think it's etiquette. I think it's just, you know, health, safety rules and, and, but, but I do agree with you that they are very, that they may be very careful about the style of people there. But let me it's a very it, Italian thing. But how about I put it this way? What if I had a hoodie which would have like Prada written in it in very big logos? They probably wouldn't have mm. asked me to do I it. I think they would have anyway. But to remove it from your head, I mean. Because I'm telling you, it happened to me at Uniqlo. It's not something that it only happens in, in expensive places. So I am I'm pretty... But I can tell you one thing, though, that... that reinforces what you're saying as an italian um when i was living in rome and then in milan for me it was in italy it was basically i don't know now but a few years ago it was basically impossible to see somebody wealthy wearing hoodie in public this is this is very resonating with me again yes i think our fashion general direction has gotten very casual mm. and now you see a lot of people who you can tell they can afford things they are dressed in super casual uh, hoodies so this is another aspect i mean come on everyone is wearing juicy couture these days so I guess to some extent it's also a fashion statement. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The amount of juicy asses I have seen over the past year, it's almost traumatizing, I have to admit. No, but I was traumatized when I went to Los Angeles over 10 years ago. Yeah, uh, for the first time. And Beverly Hills was full of these rich, filthy rich women. I was taking Beverly Hills for, I stayed there, the second time I stayed there for over a month. And these women were wearing um, tracksuits with these botched faces, botched by very bad plastic surgery. And God knows how much I love plastic surgery, but they were completely botched. And, and they were wearing tracksuits. And I never saw a rich lady 
wearing a tracksuit before because in Rome you in those in the in the rich areas of Rome or Milan it was not something very common it was something that they would never I mean outside of a gym you would never wear those things obviously I, I was not one of them but mm. yeah well these days still if you want to shop Prada hood down well luckily if you are a KGB subscriber and if you participate in our cultural critique you can wear your hoodie anytime you want anytime you want anywhere any uh, we we love hoodies as yeah, you can see hoodies communities yes 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 um but yeah you were telling me before they prefer to to um cut you were putting it very beautifully. You said uh, Prada prefers not to sell to everybody in order to abide by a, yeah, a respect. Yeah, filter through the partic- yeah. uh, target consumer and preserve particular experience within their store. Um, you know, I, I get it. I get it. Brand wants to protect its boundaries and efforts. But simultaneously, it's quite interesting where do you do- draw the line between desire for endless profit and at the same time keeping with exclusivity because to some extent especially what's going on in london uh, we are at the point where your exclusivity is so exclusive you don't even have anyone who wants to participate in it that much but what prada doing is quite well yeah also it, it reminds me that prada used to have a male line for uh, Miu Miu used to have a male uh, line and then at some point they cancelled the male line at Miu Miu because they wanted Miu Miu to be for girls okay wow. maybe today for girls of all sexes that's it non-gender conformity. No, exactly soon we but will girls. have lines for everyone but girls and they have projects like the Miu Miu women's tales where they only ask female directors to direct their own projects so the point is, they know that a lot of men, including me, would love to have a Miu Miu for boys, Miu Miu for men, but they say this is not the identity of the brand, so we prefer to sell less, but to sell to the right people. And that is what in marketing is called the velvet rope, and that's how brands create a, a, a sort of a community around them. So I'm not sure it's a losing strategy. I'm sure that this somehow will benefit them in a way. Not well, in terms of turno- general turnover, but in terms of faithfulness of their own clients. I'm not sure I will ever be allowed to cross this velvet rope. I felt like I had to uh, push through to get into a Prada oh, store. baby, you crossed the velvet rope n- the moment in which you took your credit card and swiped the credit card in their machine. That's the moment in which the bel- velvet rope was uh, smashed, so when, torn apart. Uh, so when it is too easy to mold the brand and their beliefs so i guess uh the power <laughs> exactly. power is in the hands of capitalism in the end and not aesthetics completely well Jupiter, do you have any any reflections no reflections no i'm just happy this morning i saw that the queen announced that camilla parker balls which should never be called parker balls anymore because that's the name of the film for my husband is going to be queen concert you no. know yeah we this is total news because we thought that she would go by the name of Princess Camilla when she when Charles uh, becomes king, but no, she will actually be Queen Consort, uh, which means that the Queen, after many years, really understood that the time times have changed, and I think in a way this this shows how great this Queen is. I'm a big fan of Queen Elizabeth. Mm. She has shown that. Uh, that she is able to 
um, to embrace change slowly, as, as it, she should do, but to do so and never to put her own morality before the morality of the country. So I think, yeah, this is a message of optimism. So she does look like a horse, Camilla, but I still love her. Do you think we will ever see royal family dressed in black hoodies? Um, <laughs> not anytime. So probably Henry, yeah. Because he's not a royal highness anymore. Yeah, and Meghan. Like, oh, uh, yeah, Me- oh, Meghan yeah. is American, so... Yeah, we can keep it dodgy. Yeah, of course. Yeah, she's American, so... Well, I think we we'll also will keep it dodgy. And on this note, Kauche gone back, says goodbye, but we will see you very soon. We'll on a hoodie. In, well, in a hoodie, yeah. please. Next time, next time uh, we'll do a little hoodie um, party. Yeah, hoodie party. Uh, yeah, it's like uh, the evolution of a pajama party. A yeah, hoodie party. Um, yeah. From uh, m- maybe from Prada, Trupi. Yeah, yeah. Cool. <laughs> all right. Well, um, I think that's all. Bye. 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 Till next time. <laughs>